The scripture for today uh, is from the book of Acts, uh, chapter 2, and uh, Faye is going to read from chapter 8, Acts uh, 2, starting at verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is uh, Acts 8, starting at verse 26. Philip and the Ethiopian. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless somebody explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. The official answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. 
and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Here ends the reading of the word. No one likes to be left out. No one likes to be excluded. Are you one of those people who have scars from the times when the kids were picking teams at recess? And you were the last to be picked, or at least next to last, which I don't know what was worse. Maybe you uh, can remember uh, those kinds of experiences, or or worse yet, how about this one? Not being last to be picked, how about the first one to be picked for dodgeball? (laughs) Because everyone loved you so much. How many of you have scars from some of the ways you were excluded? Maybe as a kid, and maybe more recently, ways you were left out, pushed aside, or maybe simply ignored by a group of people that you really wanted to be part of. Maybe it was the cool kids that you just couldn't seem to break into. (laughs) Maybe it was the basketball team. Maybe it was the upcoming high school drama. Maybe it was a special dinner among friends and you weren't invited. Being excluded, especially when you really want to be included, are the building blocks of emotional trauma. Some of us have suffered exclusion even from within our own families, the very places, the very people who should have included us in a circle of love and protection somehow excluded us. Others of us have found ourselves excluded from the very circles that we were once part of. Maybe a tight-knit group of friends, maybe our own marriages. No one likes to be excluded. No one likes to be left out. And yet, all around us, every day, we do see people excluded. Excluded from friendships, excluded from community, excluded from life, excluded from the very place and the very love they so desperately need. And most of all, being excluded or at the very least not being included in the life-giving purpose that Jesus has for them and for their lives. It's this radical exclusion that Jesus came to reverse. Jesus came to include, to radically include people. People who have been formally excluded from the life of God. And you see this in the Gospels, in the stories about Jesus. He walks around as he interacts with people. He's radically including people who had previously been left out. An example in the story that was read by Faye. Here's an Ethiopian eunuch, different race, uh, different religion. Even what he had had happened to him excluded him in so many ways from the life of God. And here he is being included. And this is what Jesus came to do, was to radically include others. And we have a huge part to play in that inclusion. You know, we're right in the middle of a a January series, a New Year's series, where we're exploring what it means for us to be God's church on purpose. Not haphazardly, not sort of expecting to just drift toward God's intention for us, but to engage intentionally and passionately in God's purpose for us. And and what we've been doing in order to kind of get at that is we've been taking the great commission of Jesus, which are the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples at the end of the book of Matthew, which is the first of the Jesus stories. 
in the New Testament. And right at the end, just before he left, he gave his disciples some very important words, and they've been dubbed the Great Commission. Here are the words that Jesus spoke. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, because I have all authority, this is what I'm telling you to do. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And we've been taking this great commission of Jesus, we've been taking it phrase by phrase each week and trying to understand how Jesus is calling us to make disciples, how he's calling us to live this life on purpose. We've been asking kind of a hard question. Let me summarize this way, I think. Will we be, will we as the Erickson Covenant Church, will we as the people of God be God's people on purpose, submitting to the authority of Jesus and making disciples with passion and intention. Are we, are we up for that? Are we in? That's the question we've been asking. Making disciples is the central command to the Great Commission, but Jesus goes on to flesh it out a bit. Like, what does it mean to make disciples? What does that look like? Where do I start? How do you go from, from being an outsider, as it were, to being sort of interested, to sort of following, to becoming a disciple? And these questions aren't really fully answered here in the Great Commission, but I think we can see hints of it in the next two weeks, but particularly today as we focus on this next phrase about baptism. Because that's what we're going to focus on today. The little phrase, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So you ready to uh, dive into that? That was low, that was cheap. What does it mean for you and I to make disciples? By making disciples, we are including people in the life of God. Do you hear that? By making disciples, we're including people in the life of God, and that's captured significantly and importantly in the sacrament of baptism. Jesus came to include us in the life of his Father, and our commission to make disciples is to multiply that inclusion, to include more and more people into the life of God, and that's what baptism captures. So let's, let's get into it. I think it's important for us to sort of figure out a bit of what baptism is. I don't think we'll cover all the bases today, but we'll get close. And you might be thinking, uh, there's things I missed or things you'd like to add, and a little later on, you'll have an opportunity to do that as we pass around the microphone and uh, share a bit together. So, but first of all, let, let's get into it. What is baptism? Baptism signals our inclusion in the triune life of God. We're baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You know, baptism means that we have been adopted by the Father. It's incredible that, that, that we are included at the family table, that this God who created us, who has loved us before we even existed, has wanted you to be part of his family. He's included you in his inner circle. He's adopted you. And that's what baptism means, that you're included in the life of the Father. That you have a right to be at the table. And that he wants you there. He's passionate for you. He's longed for you. He's done everything possible so that you can be included. He sent his own son to rescue you. 
And so to be baptized in the name of the Father is to come into the life of the Father, into the family of the Father. That whatever kind of background we've had, whatever our story's been, the Father says, you're welcome here. This is your home. This is your family. Adopted by the Father. But to be baptized in the name of the Son is to recognize that we've been forgiven. That this Jesus came to rescue us. He became one of us. He took on flesh and blood. And he didn't have any sin. He didn't mess up the way he did. But instead, he comes along and he takes on himself all of our wreckedness, all of our sin, all of our brokenness, all of our waywardness, all of our rebellion, all the stuff that we're shamed about. He takes it upon himself and he says, You are clean, you are forgiven. He's taken our place. And we're able to live life in freedom, knowing that we belong in this family and that everything's been made right. That Jesus has gone through death on our behalf and offers us his life. That's what we're included in. But we're also baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit, which means that God has come to live in us. That God looks at you and he says, I want to live there. I want to make up my home in you. The God of all creation, the God of eternity past and eternity future has taken up residence in you. Wow! That's inclusion. That's radical inclusion into the life of God. And the Holy Spirit who now lives in us enables us to walk this walk. To be learning what it means to be part of this family as adopted children, adopted sons and daughters who live forgiven and free in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what baptism signals. Our inclusion into the triune life of God. Where we get in on this eternal community of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who have always lived in a perfect love relationship, and now He includes you and me, us. That's what baptism signals. It's amazing included in the triune life of God. Baptism also identifies us with Jesus Christ. In Colossians 2, 9-12, I want to read it to you. Um, this is one of the couple passages I give to people who are interested in being baptized. We, we talk about them. Listen to this. And, and it so connects to what we're saying. It connects to the Great Commission. Listen to this. Uh, Colossians is a little letter that Paul wrote to a church in a city called Colossae. So there we go. Um, For in Christ, in Jesus, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In other words, if you talk to Jesus, you're talking to the Father and the Spirit at the same time. Jesus. You engage him and the Father's present. The deity lives in him. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised. And he's using language that comes from the Jewish tradition. But listen to what he's going to do with it. You were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. This isn't a flesh thing. Your sinful nature was put off or cut off when you were circumcised by Christ. And here's the switch. It's not a fleshly circumcision like it was in the Old Testament. But having been buried with him in baptism. In which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When we are baptized, we are identified with Jesus Christ. It's kind of like a marriage ceremony. 
where we're baptized and it's our way of saying, I'm with him. I'm with her. I even put a ring on the finger to show it, right? I'm identified with this person. In baptism, we're identified with Christ. You know, I have friends, and maybe you do too, who live in cultural situations or or family situations or maybe religious uh, situations, countries otherwise, where becoming a follower of Jesus um, can present significant social and family and, and personal problems. And uh, I think of my friends in Muslim cultures. I think of my friends in Chinese cultures, uh, some Chinese cultures. Um, and and uh, what I noticed is this. People can come to church, uh, even go to a Bible study. Uh, people can even say, I'm really interested in this Christian thing. Or even some of them say, I'm a Christian. And a lot of their families kind of go, oh, phase, it'll pass, you know, whatever. And they kind of deal with it. But the moment they decide to be baptized, all of a sudden, uh, things get worse. We have a friend who was like on house arrest from her parents for like a year because of it. We have, uh, I know other people who, the, the, the level of, of family persecution that they received from that decision to follow Jesus in baptism was incredible. Why? Because I think before that, it's all talk. You know? Before that, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, last week it was squash. This week it's Jesus. Next week it'll be, I don't know, rodeo. And, and, and so they think it's going to pass. But when they decide to be baptized, it's like all bets are off. They're being identified fully with Jesus. And that's when the persecution starts. Because we've said, this Jesus is everything to me. And in baptism, I'm fully identifying with him. Now, the next one we want to talk about uh, is, is, is it's connected to the same thing because we're not only identified with Jesus, but baptism symbolizes our death and our resurrection. We're identified with Jesus. And in that Colossians passage, you, you heard it. It was not just with Jesus, but it was, it was with him in his death and his resurrection. The other passage I, I like to uh, encourage people to read and study when they're considering baptism is from Romans chapter 6. And it pictures much the same, but it's connecting to the struggle that people were having with um, sin, with patterns, with habits, and, and struggling with the fact that, you know, God's grace covers our sin. In fact, maybe, this is like a, a loophole that we're looking for, maybe, because God's grace is so big, doesn't matter how big your sin is, His grace covers it, which is true, maybe we should sin more so that His grace is bigger. And uh, you can kind of see where that one was going. And, 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 and so Paul, when he wrote this letter, he, he, he was like, no, no, that, uh, that ain't how it works. What shall we say then? Romans uh, 6, 1. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. And here's his appeal. Listen to this. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? In other words, that self you're talking about, that kind of lifestyle, that kind of way of being is dead to you. And here it is. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Baptism symbolizes death 
and resurrection. And in particular, that the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus is applied to us, that we identify with him in that. That we say, you know, when Jesus died on that Good Friday, when he hung on that cross, when he was put in that tomb, he did it for me. That I was there. I hung there. He hung there because of me, for me, in my place. And I identify fully with him. And when he rose again from the dead on that Easter morning, he rose again from the dead for me. And I identify with him there too. And that resurrection life he has given me by his Holy Spirit enables me to now walk by the Spirit and live this new creation life that he's given me to live. And so our baptism symbolizes powerfully the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But how it applies to your life personally is it symbolizes your death and your resurrection. Number four, baptism. I think you can kind of see this one coming. It marks a change in leadership. Sometimes you use the word lordship, but we're not as familiar with that. But the, the change in leadership as we submit to the authority of Jesus over our lives. And so that when we're baptized, we're saying, I am no longer the leader of my life. I am now under Jesus. I'm baptized into his name. I'm baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I am following them. In Acts 2.38 that, that uh, Jerry read, this group of people who are just, they're, they're struck by the reality that they are culpable in the death of Jesus. What do we do? And the call is to repent, which we talked about before. And this idea of repentance is that we turn around. We turn away from being our own boss, from living our own way. We turn away and we face Jesus and we follow him. There's that turning action. But the, the invitation is to turn away and to be baptized, to be included to submit to the authority of Jesus, and as the passage goes on, receive the Holy Spirit. And so we see in this baptism marking a change in our leadership, that when we're, when we're baptized, we're saying, I am no longer my own boss, I'm under Jesus. Okay. This is the command of Jesus. He possesses all this authority. He's called us to make disciples. And now he's challenging us to go and intentionally include others in this life. Include those who are far, far away. Because I think baptism, this practice of water baptism, because I think it's all about inclusion, it's all about seeking others to include in the family, we have to ask ourselves, well, how do we do that? How do we begin to include people who are far, far away? Long before people will ever consider Jesus formally, we have to first be includers. People who include others in our lives, in our community, in our friendships. We include them in our journey of coming to know and follow Jesus. We welcome them into our lives. We include people. And then as people come to understand who Jesus is, and as they come to to grips with with this this perfect man, this perfect God who's loving them and, and in calling them and including them, they decide, at some point, some decide... I want to follow this Jesus. I want to commit my life to him. And then, at that point, baptism marks the formal inclusion into the life of God and into the body of Christ. So that baptism is along the journey, but also an entry point, an initiation, signifying this new beginning, and it's a public, unequivocal way of saying that Jesus is not only the Lord of heaven and earth, but he's my Lord. He's my leader. He's my boss. So that's what baptism is. 
But I think it's important that we clear up some of what baptism is not. And I need a drink. Yeah. Baptism is not. Well, five things that baptism is not. There might be more, but uh, here's the five things I wanted to mention this morning. First of all, and probably the biggest one, baptism is not a sign of Christian maturity. It is not a sign of Christian maturity. Unfortunately, that's sometimes what people have understood, maybe from their culture, maybe from their upbringing, maybe from their church, maybe whatever. But you need to know that baptism has no bearing, no sign of Christian maturity. And for many people who've put off baptism in their lives, their followers of Jesus who put off baptism, that's what they've been told. That it was when you're really and truly ready, or when, you're, when you're, you're at the point where, I don't know, you don't struggle with sin anymore, like we should ever be baptized if that were the case. Like, it represents some later stage. And that's just not true biblically. It doesn't, it doesn't line up. Baptism was never meant to represent a later stage in our Christian walk. It was meant to be the first step into a relationship with Jesus. Note in even this great commission, the order that Jesus says, he says, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Sometimes we think the order should be reversed. Like, let's teach them to really, truly follow Jesus first, and then do the baptism thing. But that's not how Jesus says it. We're included in the life of God by grace. And then, like a beggar off the street who's been adopted into a rich family, now the process begins to happen where we're taught how to live as family members. So baptism is not a sign of Christian maturity. It's just the first step in. Number two, baptism is not a magic ritual. Baptism is very special. It's a very special, important event. But it's not like the water is magical or it possesses some kind of power to change you. Baptism marks a change, marks the fact that the Holy Spirit is at work in you. And as you and I submit to him, the Holy Spirit is working real, ongoing, lasting changes in our lives. As we see in in Romans 6, as as we saw, baptism is something we look back to for encouragement as a reminder that that way of life is dead to us. And we're now living as resurrected, spirit filled beings. So it's not like the water itself somehow does something weird or magical. It's, it's, it's not that. It's what it's representing that is super important. Number three, baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't make God love you. It doesn't earn you points with Jesus. God does love you. He loves you passionately, baptized or not. And, and he, he's seeking to include you and wants to be part of his life. And we're saved by faith in Jesus, not, again, by that baptism. So it's, it's, it's not that the baptism itself you know, saves us or gives us brownie points, but rather that baptism is what says to the world, says to us, formally includes us in the life of God, signaling outwardly what is happening inwardly and personally and relationally. Baptism is our response to what God has done in Jesus. It's, his, it's our response to his grace. It's our way of saying yes to Jesus. And then keep you know, keeping on saying yes to Jesus through the sacrament of Holy Communion. But baptism in itself doesn't save us. Only Jesus does that. Number four, 
it's kind of close to number one, but I think it needs to be on its own, is that baptism is not optional for Christians. The reality is, and I know I do, I really do understand that for some of you, you feel like I'm targeting you or I'm hitting you hard today. Please hear me with all the grace I can muster. That's not what's going on here. But it's just, you've got to hear it. The Bible doesn't have a category for Christians who aren't baptized. There's no category for you if you're in that category. It doesn't know of a Christian who hasn't submitted to Jesus through baptism. It doesn't exist. In the scriptures, the baptism is always an event a Christian looks back to. Never something that hasn't happened. And because of our teaching, maybe because of the, the, the church we were raised in, because of circumstances, some of us are in places where we're going, well, I'm obviously a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. Yeah, but I haven't been baptized. And I just want to say, it's all right. That's our story. That's where we're at. That's fine. But guess what? It's time to get baptized. It just is. It's not a shame. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a way of saying to, to your uh, family uh, that I'm a follower of Jesus and you know this didn't get done when it should have been done but I'm humble enough to deal with it and come in front of all you and get wet and go through baptism and, and, and say I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus and so we do that and in the last few years a number of people who've been baptized either here or wherever we've done baptisms ha- ha- it's been that it's been people who are followers of Jesus longtime followers of Jesus who for whatever reason didn't get baptized but baptism is an event that Christians look back to 100% of the time. And so I want to encourage you, uh, if you're in a place where you haven't been baptized yet and you're a follower of Jesus, to, to do that.